You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we have the honor of sitting down with two people who have undoubtedly shaped the oddities world. I know they shaped mine. They were my first introduction from their oddities, flea market to their home collection and so much more. Welcome to the show, Ryan and Regina Cohen. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. I had to like skirt my intro because I could have gone on for probably like <laughs> three paragraphs. No, please go on. <laughs> Remind us what we do. Yeah. <laughs> They're the only reason I know what a Kapala skull is. They're the only reason I've wanted to go to New York from when I, because I'm from a very small town. Like I could have, I, I reined it all the way in for that. Yeah, good job, Sam. But thank you guys for being here today. You guys are going through a storm right now, you said. So hopefully... Yeah, it's it's like a very it looks very gothic outside right yeah. now, I should say. Um, the sky is like super sepia tone mm-hmm. and there's like cows flying through <laughs> the yard and other That's such things. Deer. <laughs> yeah, we looked out and we saw like a branch fly through the sky. I mean that's that's the interesting part about moving from the city to the country is we have wildlife here. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of trees, we have a big yard. I have and, lots of oh. questions about that. Going from <laughs> being New York people and Brooklyn and living, you know, you had, you know, your your house there that was, I'm sure, felt large, right, with your collections. Yeah. Do you did you feel when you guys moved to Connecticut that you were like, "Fuck, we don't have enough stuff," or what? I wish I could say that, but what people don't know is that we had two storage units full of items that we had no room in Brooklyn for. Right. So honestly, when we moved in, we had more than enough stuff. And in fact, we have two other properties, um, like on our lot, we have a small chapel and then we have a cottage oh, and they're both filled to the brim <laughs> with things. And when Regina says they're filled to the brim, mm-hmm. well, the cottage, we we have someone staying in, but the uh, church, which is, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later. It's an actual chapel oh. from the 1800s. And it's supposed to be a working, functioning auction room slash studio. And of course, it's just floor to ceiling, antiques and other such things that we couldn't fit in here, nor could we fit in our storage unit. I saw an Instagram story the other day of like, Ryan, you were looking at something and Regina was walking through and I was like, oh, they have wasted no time getting it filled. Yeah, it's funny. Like I really planned ahead when we knew we were moving. It It was a good six months that we had to prepare from going from New York to Connecticut. And, you know, the biggest headache was trying to figure out how to move three floors is what we had in Brooklyn um, from there to here, which was a huge feat. I mean, what was it like almost three trailer trucks? At least. And then what we did, we got a storage space here in Westport and started moving things there to make it easier. Also, Ryan was still buying things out here because people have amazing estate sales uh-huh. in Connecticut. So he was even accumulating more things um, before we even got the keys. Yeah, we had to get another truck when we actually had moved in because then I had my Westport storage that was absolutely <laughs> filled to the brim with things that I bought for here that I wanted to have here already. 
So uh, we're avid well, the, the, I uh, would like to say that I don't align with that type of collecting, say, you're but in I'm good company. Yeah, I most definitely do. But I have to <laughs> laugh at what those boxes probably looked like, where you're like, just Kapala skulls, just anatomical mm-hmm. wax figures. That's yeah. Like- there was there was definitely like some color coding, and I made the labels. Nice, yeah. yeah. And then I also cover up the labels when other people are listing things. <laughs> um, but we do, I'd say, we do all the rare objects ourselves. Yeah. Because you can't trust anybody to just handle them the way you do. So there were a lot of car rides with just the precious items. And actually, it's the domes, which are the worst part about moving, is Mm -hmm. all the glass. Yeah. I had somebody ship me a piece of taxidermy in a dome, and they just didn't pack it correct. So then I had to pick everything out of the hedgehog that now had glass and yeah. dried flowers and all that stuff in it but i'm i was so excited for you guys to move into this historical house and we'll get into it just a little bit more um but i want to talk about a little bit of you guys growing up we always ask our guests because nobody ever starts collecting just because they're like oh here's a piece of tupperware i guess i'm gonna keep that it's always a story and ryan for you you started with walks in the woods finding bones i was also a bone hunter as a child and thought that i was going to be famous in a museum when it was just a deer <laughs> carcass what what when you were going out and hunting and finding these bones i know you wanted to start putting them together but what was your main goal in learning about osteology in your early years what's funny you know i for for so many years people would ask me like how did you become such an obsessive collector like where does this stem from and i think it was even before i was like finding bones in the woods i was just finding like rocks and moss and like weird you know, twigs that looked like other things. I was just fascinated with nature in general. And that, you know, gravitated towards osteology at some point because I just found it to be interesting. And where I became obsessive with it, I'm not quite sure. I think that happened a little bit later on, you know, like in my early teens. Um, But I guess when I really started to understand like, oh, if you put this next to this, next to this becomes a skeleton, um, I think after building maybe my first one, I was like, oh, wow, this is really, this is fun. This is like doing the artwork that I like, but also collecting things. And then, oh, if you know, you add an antique base, now you have an antique. So kind of like combined all the things that I slowly became interested in uh, towards, you know, my, my teens uh, into this one big thing that I became obsessed with. Well, and both of your parents were collectors, correct? They both dabbled um, or... Not really. I mean, your mom liked antiques. Yeah, my mom, we had like a lot of antiques in the home. Uh, I was lucky because in upstate New York, there was a ton of like little antique stores right in town and in the surrounding areas. And my mom used to like to just go peruse them. I, you know, she would buy things here and there. And I was just, I, I was like obsessed with going and doing that with her. So I think she actually is the person that probably got me started from an early age. Well, yeah, because when you start, at, I started antiquing with my grandmother like as soon as I knew not to touch anything. Like keep your mm-hmm. hands in your pockets and you are, you're like catapulted into this world of like seeing all of this stuff that in your brain at that age, you think is like 500 years old, right? You're like, I've never seen this. And then it starts that like curiosity and the story aspect of wondering like, what is that dish? And what was that? And people used to smoke holding a long bake light thing in the twenties. Like what were they? It started for me with the history aspect of like trying to understand the human condition through what people kept and what they thought was precious. Sure. Because I always thought people kept like China and stuff. I think as, uh, at least for myself, when I found out an object was incredibly rare, that started 
my catapult into history and like learning about the history of things and wanting to know every aspect of what it was that I was looking at it, what made it special, if it had a value, why was the value this as opposed mm-hmm. to something else? Does it have some in unique individual marking that makes it more unique than the next, even though it might look just like something else? We actually have a very good story about that uh, with the collection that we just purchased. Let's hear it. What did you just purchase? Uh, <laughs> Regina's shaking her head. I don't know. I mean, it's one of the finest collections I've ever seen uh, in personal personal hands. A colleague of ours uh, passed away relatively recently, and I was contacted by his family. And they basically just needed, they didn't know what to do with it. You know, they wanted to sell the collection. And I was brought up, and we ended up purchasing it. And within a 2,000 square foot Brooklyn apartment, we took out probably about 2,000 pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're oh. like 2,000 really good pieces. There was no, yeah. there was no junk in this collection. If he had it, it, it meant something. So right now, what's taking up most of our time is we're still going through the items and doing research because these are, these are collectibles that we're not even like privy to yeah because it's not just oddities it was anything from like cast iron to what like bird cages Uh, but i mean like six foot bird cages um just it's all over the place but at the same time it it, i could see why it was all together yeah so for instance uh there will be a cauldron this guy like collect cauldrons Mm -hmm. and so you know, I, I've sold a lot of cauldrons in my time. We sell them at our auctions every so often. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably put a, a blue book value of $200 on this particular one. Oh, wow. However, I noticed that it's got a little marking on the side. I look up the little marking and it's like a $2,000 cauldron. So you, you really have to do your research, especially when you buy a collection like this, um, where everything was so specialized, even though it was a very broad spectrum each individual piece was bought for an intended purpose or interest. And so you got to be very careful. Yeah. When you guys go in to buy a collection, cause you've done this for such a long time, especially like you, I'm sure you can kind of glance over something and be like, okay, this is going to be worth the drive. What does your process look like to go in? And you guys are both like, okay, we know we're going to probably come home with some stuff. What are you looking for in yeah. everything? And it's about time. Um, you have to be quick because if, we, if we don't think quick enough, somebody else is going to dive in. There's always someone right mm-hmm. behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so our mantra and our process is just buy everything. Yeah. You can sort it out later. Um, mm-hmm. There's some pieces that we'll see in the collection that we're like, well, we're buying it because we want this to be in our collection. Sure. And then we'll figure out what to do with the rest of the stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, we'll oftentimes just buy a collection that has like four or five pieces or even two pieces or even a single piece. Uh, but then we'll also buy collections. Like if a museum went out of business and it's offered to us, we're going to buy it. Yeah. And it might sit in storage for a couple of years, but at the right time, it'll either become something that uh, will our hands will have touched and it'll become a future business or we'll sell it to someone as in its entirety. Well, and you've, you've probably learned that just because of the expanse of your career and you didn't start in antiquities. You started as a jeweler, correct? Like, Working in a jeweler, and then you worked in a suit. You owned a suit store. Yeah, so I I started off uh, apprenticing with this this old man in New York City. It was just like a, someone. I think I was dating someone. They were like, "Oh, I work for this old guy. He was like Ralph Lauren's first jeweler. Uh, he had been he had been like doing side jobs for Ralph Lauren since I think 
his very, like he went, he was like selling ties in Trump tower. Oh, geez. And so this guy started doing all the Western wear, which uh, ended up becoming much more popular, I think with double RL and polo and those types of brands. And so I started doing it and I really had a knack for it. And it was a really fun thing because, Hey, what are, what are antique stands made of metal? Mm-hmm. You know, what's an exploded skull made out of metal? All these mm-hmm. things that I ended up doing later on stemmed from being a jeweler because it taught us, you know, taught me how to like solder and work with different metals and really understand the makeup of metals. And then also understand how to restore an antique, mm-hmm. which is very much a part of what we both do. Regina's actually become pretty good at that as well. When she wants to get hands dirty. <laughs> well, because I remember, I like many others, of course, know you from the show Oddities and working in Obscura. That was, I come from a very small town in Idaho of like 3,000 people, right? 3,000 very religious people. You did not see anything in taxidermy people's houses outside of like a bear and an elk and a goose and like those kinds of things. And I always liked weird stuff growing up. I was the bone kid. I always liked, you know, I'm like, why can't I just keep that? But it was, you know, I remember I had, we had just, my husband and I had just been married and we moved into this cute little house that was built in 1920. And I had the first iteration of an iPad and I pulled up Netflix and I went, what is this show? And I've talked about it on the show where I went, it was like this door opened of like, it's okay to like weird shit and look at all these people that like weird shit. And I had saw, I had seen your workshop in that show. And of course the exploded skull, which you are widely known for. And I just remember marveling at the skill to do that work and to like hone in that skill. And I didn't learn that it was the jeweler side of it until very recently. Mm-hmm. Where well, I, thing, whether you're making a ring or you're making an apparatus that's going to hold a skull, um, it's all the same thing. And then, you know, knowing how to like take some really rare candelabra or something that has like a loose piece and then being able to fix it is great asset for an antique dealer. What side of it do you like to work in Regina in the restoring and building part? Do you dabble or do you specialize? I like the bones actually. I'm really good at taking apart skeletons. (laughs) (laughs) It's a gift really. Sometimes I time myself to see how quickly it can take me. Can Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Have you ever put together a cat skeleton? No, I've never done his class. I've taught. I take them all apart. Yeah, you take them apart mm-hmm. for me. But I've, I've <laughs> conducted, I don't know, hundred of these things. A hundred. And I've listened to them. And she I've, listens to them. But I've never forced her to put one of these things together. I think mm-hmm. it's about time. I think it would take me five minutes because I've taken apart a hundred. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ryan, go ahead and run and go get a skeleton and we'll start the clock. I think we should do a time lapse. I think so. Yeah. Together. Screw the yeah. podcast. You're on the spot now. <laughs> Regina, right? I'm going to put the Probably skeleton together. <laughs> well, and that's such, a, that's such a great thing to offer to people too, to have those classes to go and learn how to throw bones together. Because, well, you guys both have had an interest in the macabre for a very long time, but Regina, yours goes back to childhood and liking kind of that Catholicism side of it and realizing like, oh, there's some weird stuff happening. When did you guys both start collecting oddities like in your adult lives that started to change your scope of collecting? I mean, you were already there before I met you. Oh, yeah. So I I mean, I I got like heavily into the oddity side of things, Mm -hmm. probably at like around 18 yeah. Um, and then just went crazy with it. I mean, I remember my second Brooklyn apartment. I had like eight skeletons and like 30 skulls already. Like I, I just dove right into it. And I ended up kind of turning it into a business early on. 
um, which is how I, I basically got into the the oddity show because um, I was already doing that stuff just as much as Obscura was. Did it start as a way to just kind of keep funding your habit? Like you were going in there and buying stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think a lot of collectors are like that, especially at the beginning because you're starting to build your base and you're starting to like, Find out what you're interested in because mm-hmm. it changes. Yeah, mm-hmm. The stuff that I collect now oh, is yeah. very, very different than what I was collecting when I was 18. Mm-hmm. You know, it all has like a very, you know, a, a common theme, mm-hmm. but I fine-tuned it. Well, it so evolved. Yeah. That's happened to us with the show where you we interview people every week and we're like, oh, I didn't know about that. And then like I knew nothing about uranium glass a year ago. And now I just like, oh, but I find myself instead of like trudging through the beginnings of a collection, we just start here now. And we're just like, oh, I'm going to go straight for the top tier of this instead of starting like a regular person, like muddling through it. But I have as we get deeper and deeper into it, there was stuff that I always thought was going to be a forever collectible. And now I'm like, eh, I could. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've sold off subsects of my collection where I, I have nothing of the sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt fine about it. And I remember when I was younger, even like in my 30s, my early 30s, I was like, man, I'll never sell this. I couldn't imagine having a collection without this subsect of things. And now it doesn't even make sense yeah. uh, with how we've constructed our, our current collection. I'll like wake him up in the middle of the night too, because I'll have a panic attack if he's about to sell something. Um, not because I care about it, but more so I'm like, is he really going to do this? Is he going to regret it? Like, let me just make sure like he's cool with this. And he's like, yeah, no, I made the decision. It's done. And that's it. Then that genre is like out of our house completely. Yeah. I think we, we, we've um, obtained so many things at this point. A lot of the things that I always wanted, just as far as collecting is concerned, I've, I've obtained or I've had it or it's passed through my hands and I've gotten to a point where I'm a lot more comfortable, um, you know, moving things along and finding something better. Yeah. Well, and also, I'm sure the network that the two of you have also, like, you know, like, if I get rid of this piece, I'm probably going to come across something. Somebody's going to holler at us and go, hey. I'd rather have one absolutely incredible artifact rather than, you know, 10 mediocre ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is where I've shifted to, too, as I'm like, okay, if I go to the store, like a thrift store, especially, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool piece. That's really cheap. I should grab it. Now it's like, eh. yeah. And we don't, I mean, around where we live, there is one store that you can go to and find anything occult or oddities. And it's pretty out of the norm. It's been here for like 30 years, but it was like, it's known as like the goth store. Cause that's what everybody thinks who collect yeah. oddities are just goths, which is right. fine. <laughs> but it was, I remember going in there when I was a kid and like seeing like she had like a witch section and the vampire section. I was like, what is this place? It's magic. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, Regina, specifically, because you started in a very different side of this world with fashion and lingerie and all of those things. And I love uh, just to say, like, I love how that ties into the decor of both the Brooklyn apartment and now the home, like that eye that you have. Did you ever think you would live in a house filled with oddities? Not for a second. <laughs> no, not at all. So I come from super Catholic background from Rhode Island. Um, my mom actually regretted that she didn't become a, a nun. So, I mean, it was that hardcore. She reminds you to this day. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> um, so I now am obsessed with anything Catholic related. Like I love religious iconography. Um, for me, it's aesthetic more than the religion, mm-hmm. but it's dark. Like it's dark. Like growing up when I talk about my childhood to Ryan and it's 
you know, involved churches and Catholic school and all of those fun things. I realize now with the history of how dark we always tease that I'm like the morbid one. Like it's not Ryan. Like I'm wearing three dresses, you know, and everyone looks at him like, Oh, he's like the gothy dark one. It's me actually. <laughs> I just happen to love pink too. So mm-hmm. it's a good disguise. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I knew what I was getting into. Of course, when I met Ryan, um, I was pretty much a minimalist though. So I'm one of those people that holds out for an expensive quality item. So I'm a less is more gal. So I struggle with all of the things. Mm. It actually stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. see that. Just like in the actual house or like when you go into the well, as, chapel. As long as the items have a home, I'm okay. But Ryan is um, someone who likes to tinker. And because there's so many places um, for storage, like he'll go into the chapel and bring five things in and he'll walk around with them and try to figure out where they go. And then he puts it on the table and then I walk by and I'm like, why is that there? Like (laughs) I need all this weird stuff to just have a home, like Mm -hmm. have a place. Um, It hurts my brain. So I feel like for every item that like Ryan brings in, I get rid of something, even though it's never going to balance out for my, for my head, because I actually don't like things. Yeah. Very very strange to other people. I am like a weird mix of the two. I'll like bring stuff in and like move shit around the house. My husband's like, where is that from? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it's at. But yeah, everything kind of has to have its its home and its its place to be or else I'm like, why are you still on the table? Yeah, I've never been attached to items. So um, my, you know, so if I don't wear something, even if it was a thousand dollars and I thought it was the most beautiful thing, if I didn't wear it in three years, I get rid of it. So I don't have attachments towards items. Whereas Ryan, it's very different. I'm sure it's very emotional. Yeah, I'm going to be buried with like mm-hmm. 2 million pieces. <laughs> it's gonna be, they're just going to have to make like a yeah. big canyon and then just throw all my shit mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, my husband will be the same way. Like I had to get rid of all our kids' like little drawings that they've done since like kindergarten. And I'm like, okay, we're only keeping like two pieces from each grade. And then my husband will hold up this paper and be like, look, look at this. I'm like, it's good, but this is better. We're going to toss it out. Wow. So I'm like the evil one of the family. It stresses me out. Yeah. I'm the voice of reason here. Yeah. I try to be. But at the same time, I'm super competitive. So if I find out that there's something for sale, like I'm Ryan's biggest cheerleader, and I'll make sure that we we kill it and we get it. Like I'm the business end. So mm-hmm. like I'm aware when something is valuable, I'm aware that Ryan's going to flip it and it's going to all come back to us because I mean, he drains the bank account often to get a lot of these <laughs> items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're buying an mm-hmm. enormous collection and someone's like, all right, this is what I want for it. Cause there's often a lot of conversation previously and you don't get any pictures and you don't get a yeah. price until you're actually there. Mm-hmm. You got to be ready to throw down. Yeah. But to. also, like, uh, show, don't show your cards. Like, you have to be like, yeah, I was thinking about offering this. And then just being like, please, yeah, please. It 100% is. And, you know, there's times where I think people try to, like, upcharge us a little bit. Because oh. oh, yeah. If I show interest in something, mm-hmm. then I think some people automatically think that it's rare. Or, right. oh, he's going to buy this and then he's going to sell it for 8 million times more. Right. Um, which isn't always the case. I mean, sometimes we buy something that's just funny and to us are, you know, cool looking and we're buying things simply on an aesthetic level. Well, um, and did you notice a change from going to antiquing and buying in New York 
to now being in Connecticut, where it's a lot more, I'm assuming, mom and pop type estate sale businesses. Is there a difference no, or not so much? Not really. We, there's far it's, better antiques here. It's because, more high end here. Yeah. Much more sure. high end. Mm-hmm. You know, New York started to evaporate in the early 2000s with the invention of eBay and also with the invention of really high rent. And so all of those amazing lots that used to exist in Chelsea, there was four flea markets every single weekend that I was at at like four in the morning as a kid. Every single weekend, Saturday and Sunday, uh, one of them you had to pay a dollar to get in, but nobody did that. You just walk around the fence if you didn't want to spend a dollar. (laughs) You go, hey, hey, how much is that? You just yell over and then they just give you the stuff over the fence. Wow. Um, Those days are so far gone. You know, New York City doesn't really have a thriving antique scene anymore. Mm -hmm. All that you're really finding there is you know, things that are passing through someone's hands that's moving, or if you found something on Craigslist, or maybe there's an auction, but it's a really poor antique scene at this point. And it's one of the reasons why we started looking elsewhere. We found ourselves leaving very frequently to go buy stuff that we're just bringing back to New York. And we're like, why are we doing that? Let's go to the source. Mm -hmm. And Connecticut has a rich, Mm -hmm. rich history uh, of antiques. It's a very old state. Yeah. And I, we've had a couple people on from back East that have kind of said similar things about New York, where it's just like, once eBay happened to New York city, it was just like, now everybody's a dealer, everybody's finding stuff. And then they want to, you know, people think eBay listed prices are the actual price of something rather than diving a little deeper. And I, I, we, we want to of course go back East to antique because I mean, uh, there has to be old shit there because it's the oldest part of the country. Exactly. Yeah. And there, I'm sure you do. You guys run into families that like just have old stuff, and they're like, "Hey, let's. What is this? What do we have?" Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty frequently. We also have some pretty good flea markets out here, so mm-hmm. occasionally go to them. But outside of the flea markets, there's uh, estate sales pretty much every other day. And so if you know what estate sales to go to, and you know, like people hit me to it now, and I sometimes yeah. can go earlier. Um, I'm finding incredible stuff and it might just be like furniture and things that we're going to put in our house. But I also find really good oddities and and other such things here as well. Yeah. Has your oddities picking changed as you've matured in your career? Like, are there things Mm -hmm. you often pass up now rather than Um, pass up and it's much harder to find this stuff. There's like (laughs) thousands of people doing it now. And, you know, I think oddities kind of help create a monster to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Mm-hmm. It's been great. I mean, it was it was great for my career and it was great for the genre of oddities collecting because now there's a lot more people doing it um, and collecting it and people are always buying it and seem things seem to change hands, which is funny. And actually, in this collection that we just purchased, a lot of the pieces that I bought used to be mine. Oh, yeah. About 20% of the mm-hmm. collection. You're like, Most thank you. Most things that are offered to us were once Ryan's. Wow. We get emails of people wanting to sell things or whatever, and he can tell you what year he had it and who he sold it to. And he's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Now it's here. <laughs> How it funny is that? To us. Well, yeah, because I mean, before the show, there was, I mean, it was, a, it was I'm just a uh, punk rock kind of movement. Like, here's a head, here's this, here's that. And it was, it was just happening in towns. And then when the show, I'm sure that it just exploded everything. Like everybody. Was yeah. Like, there were some shops that really like specialized in oddities. Uh, there was just a lot of people. Like, you go to like a flea market and the stuff was very plentiful because it wasn't very popular. There was definitely a lot of people collecting it. I used to have like a ton of like older 
older men that would sell me like old men were selling like hey i was like collected this stuff my whole life i got yeah. this in the army whatever and their wives hated it and yeah. made them put it in the basement you know my best <laughs> resource for collecting was a, a wife's husband passed away and they're like i don't yeah. want this shit what do you what do i do with <laughs> and i would always i'd get the call like oh yeah i'm sorry to hear that but how much <laughs> <laughs> i just i had i was just <laughs> at the di we have this uh thrift store chain here that is uh a part of the Mormon church was called Deseret Industries. And I was just going through and I had my son and I look up and there was a full taxidermied pheasant <laughs> up in like the yard area, but it was on, it's on like a rattan, like the, the, uh, what is like the screens, the bamboo screens oh, yeah. that you see in like Asian markets. It was on that, but it had a whole spray of like nineties flowers. And I could just picture the wife being like, Bob, you can hang that in the living room if I can decorate it. That's it. So the flowers fell off and I was like, too bad. And I just left them. I was like, sorry, guys. But I was just like, somebody probably, they just had this sacrifice. And then as soon as he died, she was like, get that shit out of my house. That says exactly. Yeah, because there's, you come across taxidermy in every antique shop here of what somebody has killed or found. or. So to us, people will be like, oh my God, you can find elk. And we're like, yes, but no, it's everywhere. Yeah, those are quite common. Yeah. But it's um, the odd stuff like that. I have a taxidermy duckling and a hedgehog. I just started collecting taxidermy. But it's hard because of the oddities upswing. And then there's the world of online auctions, too, of like Facebook and Instagram and all of those things that you're like, where is everybody finding this stuff that I don't live? And let's it's, it's time consuming. I mean, half of our battle is keeping up with stock. Yeah. Um, obviously, when we buy a large collection, we, we sell off a lot of the small stuff first and then we deal with the bigger stuff later, which is what we're doing now. Things we can't ship. But we still know. always are hunting for small stuff and it's, it's yeah. challenging. So during lockdown, you know, we did it as a way to survive because obviously all our live events got canceled mm. last year. Um, I don't think either of us thought we would still be doing them, but they're wildly popular and they're easy for us. I mean... I can, we can literally do them in our underwear, in our basement. Um, not well, leave I can't. Well, you can just wear a shirt. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you don't need to. They call that porky pigging. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Donald ducking, but yeah. that works or, too. Porky pig, Winnie the Pooh. Um, but also I feel like we keep doing it more because of the community. They've all become really close friends from meeting with us every week during COVID. So I feel like we're all there for entertainment purposes. Sometimes mm -hmm. I forget that it's an actual like business and we're actually like selling things because it feels like just like a three hour party. Yeah. It became a really good way to, um, you know, stay in touch with the community, have fun on a weekend because during COVID it was a literal nightmare. I mean, yeah. it was, it gave us a chance to find some humor and it was, it was a really we had so much stock from what was going to be sold yeah. at the Oddities Flea Markets. Right. We ended up just selling it from the privacy of our own home. And I think it taught us a lot um, about our business mm. more than anything. Yeah, it was. I Jill is a nurse. She works in the healthcare world. And I am a hairdresser. And it was the same thing of I couldn't work for 10 weeks. And I was just yeah. like. What? And we couldn't work for. We were in New York. Yeah. So it was over a year. I mean, we just got the green light for our first show. Um, so now Los Angeles is back on. This is the third postponement date. So hopefully it's it'll be successful in late October. And then we also lost uh, most of our venues are 
went down in yeah. New York. They closed. Um, but it looks like we sign, we're signing a, a contract today, tomorrow. Oh, so we'll do a big New York event at the end of the year. And we're going to announce that Friday. So oh. people are going to be very excited. That's fantastic. I yeah, it last year was earth shattering for kind of taking all the bullshit out of your life and just like really had to put your head down and be like, okay. Yeah, I think Absolutely. a lot of a lot of businesses um, had to very quickly come up with a new plan. Mm-hmm. And I saw some businesses thrive, you know, thrive very well. Um, if you could just change your mindset mm-hmm. and evolve really quickly, you could make something out of it. Right. Um, and then other people went the other way where they just got very depressed and both is very understandable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, to try to keep the community alive, we would just email all of our vendors and say, like, if you have posts for me to, you know, get up on our socials, like, please send me stuff. So we keep you um, current because we need all of our vendors to keep current so we can come back as the oddities flea market, right? right? Yeah. It's not just about Ryan and I. We need the community. Mm-hmm. Without the community, yeah. what do we do? Yeah, one can't exist <laughs> without the we other. We stayed together too. I think we lost yeah. a couple vendors here and there, but mm-hmm. uh, overall, I think we. We also sold their job. items during our auctions uh. to just try to keep them working, or if they had extra stock send it to us. We'll, we'll showcase it in the auction. So we did a lot of that as well. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, we survived and I feel like now everyone is crawling out of their, mm. their, wherever they've been for a year. And I think everyone's getting really excited now for, for the end of the year. Yeah. And the move was happening during all of that too, right? You guys last year. Yeah. 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 So I think the only saving grace is before we left, um, we had a great, a great apartment in Brooklyn. We had three stories, a backyard, and I couldn't have imagined going through COVID where we were previous to that, which was in Greenpoint. It was what, like 1,200 square feet, third floor walk up, no wow. backyard. I mean, it mm-hmm. would have been a nightmare because mm-hmm. I think we moved in, we only had two months and then COVID happened. Yeah. So I feel like I never even got to live in that darling apartment because it was it was locked down the whole entire time and then we left you know in a way Ryan and I would have never had the time to buy Mm -hmm. a house and move Mm -hmm. um it was the first time that we didn't have anything to do (laughs) well that's not true we had a million things I know but I mean like to find a house and spend time moving we never had that time because prior to COVID we I feel like we were on top of our game. We were mm-hmm. working every day. We were via House of Wax, via the Oddities Flea Market, via t- TV, like whatever. We had no downtime. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we at least used our time wisely. Yeah. Hence, while we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But it's still shocking that I'm in Westport, Connecticut. I will say, though, it's only 45 minutes from the city. Uh, so we are that close to Manhattan. And does that feel uh, perfect? Like having lived in New York for so long and in that hustle and bustle and everybody's always doing something to now like be in the country and be like just at a slower pace and like drink coffee and walk around your yard and be like, oh, look at this. Flowers are blooming. I'm still in shock. I'm not. For me, it's like a dream come true. I mean, I came from the country. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the country and I always truly found my peace when I would leave the city. But I was like going back. The city was like a very important, wonderful place for me at a different time in my life. Mm-hmm. And where I am now, I 
I need to be here. I like need that piece. Like I would, I had to drive because I was picking up stuff all the time. So trying to drive in the city and navigate and have people screaming at you every day, it just was unhealthy for me personally. So I, I found my peace in moving to the country. Now I, I love it. I'm, I just, I find cool stuff here all the time. Well, and you guys, it, you guys have really, when you bought that house, I kind of followed from the beginning of buying the house to decorating, to redoing it. Was it, was it like a, was the house in bad shape when you guys got it or does it just need to be Ryan and Regina? Um, it definitely needed to be Ryan and Regina. It yeah. needed, it did need a lot. And yeah. we, we jumped right in. Like we, there was, there was actually a, we have a third floor here and we, promised each other like we're we not going to touch we this won't even talk year. about it till 2021 and we, we did the first thing we did <laughs> i couldn't look at it i'm like there's looks like there's blood stains on this carpet no get it out <laughs> there was a very old woman uh that had lived here for i don't know probably a good 20 years or so and she did what a lot of old women do and they went carpet and and uh <laughs> wallpaper can't. crazy so everything was wallpapered everything was carpeted <laughs> Uh, one of the but walls bad, was carpeted in a bad way, obviously. <laughs> the it's like they just is, had a Sears catalog, and they were like, "Get it all in here, bring yeah, it." Yeah, but it had amazing bones, and yeah. uh, even when I was looking at it, going like, "Oh shit, God, I'm gonna have to remove this. I'm gonna redo this thing." I knew that underneath all that stuff was lying hidden gems, and we were, yeah. you know, happily surprised. We also fell in love with Westport, um, so this is probably the only house in Westport we could have ever afforded. <laughs> so we knew to live here, we had to make this work because if we go down the street, two minutes, $20 million, $30 million houses on the ocean. Oh, yeah. We're mm-hmm. right on the coast. Yeah. So cool. we can actually um, ride our bike in mm-hmm. two minutes and we're, we have a, an amazing beach, actually. Yeah. It's all rocky and gothic. I love it. I see it on Virginia's stories and I'm like, how cool is that to just walk and see? It's so... I'm still... I'm having a harder time adjusting. I love it. My dream has always been to get back to the beach because after Rhode Island, I ended up growing up in South Florida. But then from South Florida, my fashion career took me to DC and then of course, New York. Mm-hmm. And I don't drive. So this is hard for me. Um, Got to get you a car. That's fine. But like, I don't want to drive. I've gotten just, I'm scared to like learn how to drive at my age. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I also have like rage inside. So I feel like I'm going to be a psycho. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scared. Um, so Ryan is starting to push me now to go get my, my, what's it called? Learner's permit. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever driven? When I was a kid, like Florida. So I haven't driven since I was like 16. Oh. Because when I moved to DC, I became a flight attendant before oh. I was in fashion career. So I was flying, I didn't need a car. And then of course, when I got to New York, I never thought I was going to leave. Mm-hmm. And obviously I wasn't going to drive. So I just let it expire. And now I'm like super freaked out. So uh, yeah. And well, and the great thing is, I'm assuming that the country roads there are similar to country roads here. Like when you get closer to a point of origin, it gets a little busier and then it opens back up and you're like, okay, bye. Yeah, you have to remember there's New Yorkers here because New York is only 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. I feel like New Yorkers end up here so they drive bentley's lamborghinis uh jeeps like psychopaths and i'm i'm look yeah i don't know yeah yeah i'd probably mm-hmm. cry a lot more if Can i, I tell in. you though i used to probably honk my horn a bare minimum of about 40 times a day <laughs> on any given day in new york 
And I've done it maybe three times since I've lived here for almost a year. Well, because the horn in New York is like a fuck you and a middle finger, right? Like it's just an expletive. Mm -hmm. I don't even do it. Even if I'm angry here, I don't do it. Have you, do you guys have the farmer wave there? Do people do this when they drive past there? The little one handed? They're pretty polite. The soccer moms, not so much so. They need to get to Pilates, you guys, on Mm -hmm. time. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) stop hassling me, Deborah. Leave me be. We're bringing all our freaks out here. Yeah, we do on the weekends. So what's great is um, our friends can just jump on the train from Manhattan and it's like a five minute walk from our house. So they come and they also don't leave. In fact, during this podcast, I think we have friends hiding in the basement. Right. Right. I don't even know that they've left. (laughs) It's like, we're just going to hang out down here. They're busy. They're tied up at the moment. A one night visit here usually turns into at least a minimum of three to four because nobody wants to go back. Well, and the house is big enough now. I'm sure they could hide in one floor or another. Exactly. They yeah, could just have much more space to decorate and you know figure things out. And let's talk about that a little bit too. The decoration of the house because I am in love with it. I love how yeah. each area has its own thing. I, Regina, I love that you have your own boudoir now, and Thank you have you. and the opium den with the bed. All that's of... my favorite. Yeah. Was mm-hmm. this when you bought the house? Did you immediately start planning the design, or is it? Are you guys a design room by room and feel kind of thing? No. We definitely did not do room by room. I feel like we started like seven projects at the same time. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah. I, I sometimes like to just come into a space mm-hmm. and go, okay, this is what I have. I'll, I'll fit it to this. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman who we bought the house from was really strange and wouldn't let us in the house most of the time. Yeah. So we had to just take a lot of pictures. And so we just really studied mm-hmm. the pictures and videos that we took mm-hmm. and would just say, all right, well, we have the space, like let's buy for this or let's look for one of these things so that we can fit it here. So there was some pre-planning, but a lot of it took place as we started living here. I mean, the room that we're in right now, we still haven't even gotten a carpet because we yeah. just haven't found the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're taking our time because it's a lot more meaningful yeah. here. Yeah, we really want this to be our masterpiece. And everything sort of needs to be custom because um, very odd window shapes, very odd room shapes. Mm-hmm. So it's taking much longer than we both anticipated. In fact, that third floor that we were going to ignore ended up being easier than like the main floor. I think that's why we probably just did it because it was, well, again, it was very complicated. But but in the scheme of the house, we were able to make it. I had, um, I had purchased all of this architectural church salvage from a, a woman in Tribeca. And uh, she had gotten this paneling from a church. I think it was in Newark, New Jersey, that had burnt down. And as someone let them come in and take the paneling. And so when they put out the fire, it left all this really interesting patterning on the paneling. So we actually installed oh. that on the third floor. Cause um, that's on the base of the bed, right? Like yeah, this, the platform exactly. that it's on. Platform. Was this the, I want to say Andy Warhol. Did it belong to Andy yeah. Warhol? Okay. That's incredible. So yeah. I found that piece in like Hudson, New York and mm-hmm. I had to have it. And I'm like, and at the time we're like, we don't know where we're putting it. And I'm like, but I want it anyway. Yeah. So cause that's the thing. I'm like Ryan. So when I want something, <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to like hold my ground you were okay with it. Now you're in love with it. But at first you were like, really? That's, that's what you want. Yes. Um, That's great. Now it turns out to be like one of the coolest parts of the house. It's like the best reading nook ever. 
So well, and it's uh, like removed from everything, right? It's very hocus pocus, you know, like going yeah. all the way yeah. up and escaping. Yeah, and then you have a window to look out, and it's magical. Oh, and I bet the fall colors are just exquisite. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah. like dual tones up there, and then yes, a reflection off of all of the green outside. It was actually quite cool in the fall too, and everything was just bones outside. What's cool now is that everything is blossomed and we we found that this place has a lot of flowers that are coming out. Yeah, each, we didn't each know. Month we have mm-hmm. like things that just pop up. So we're getting into gardening as well. Well, if um, you ever have any questions, I am an avid gardener. I have a 4,000 square foot garden plus wow. my home garden plus cool. other people's yard. So <laughs> if you ever have any questions, you can always message me. That's amazing because it's very new. And in fact, I never thought our arguments would be like, Ryan, stop buying trees. Like, I, never, <laughs> I never thought I would say that. Or like, how much did you spend on that tree? <laughs> you know, what's funny. People um, will buy, people tear down houses here pretty frequently, which is sometimes really depressing because mm-hmm. it'll be an older house. Yeah. Um, what I find is if I go to a site and say, hey, are you getting rid of this Japanese maple? It happens all the time. They'll be like, yeah, we're just going to throw it into a wood chipper. I'll just have someone go and remove it for me and plant it at my house. So that's what we're doing. We're saving like all the trees and then hoping we can keep them alive over on this end. So yeah. far, so <laughs> Which that's just the picker thing of like you see and you're like opportunity. Like yeah. my neighbors were getting a new fence and I was like, what are you guys doing with those old pickets? And exactly. he's like, they're hauling it off. And I was like, right. That makes the most amount of sense that you would. Yeah. And we found there was a house that we went to the other day to pick through and it was just a Facebook thing. They only put it on Facebook and it was an estate sale. And it was, I was like, this probably just gonna be a garage sale. It's not going to be an estate sale. And we show up and the house had not been occupied in probably 30 years and everything was just left. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So it had like the, it was like the dream, right? Where you're picking through everything and it was everything from the 1920s to the 1970s, just, and I like the, how the whole front of the house was overgrown. Mm-hmm. It was bad. It was it was, I love that you guys are getting now like what did that smell like it, you know I, you all, I always think like because it's a hoarder house situation right so I'm like where is like one freezer pets and two bodily fluids somewhere in the house but it just you know what old newspaper and old books smell like obviously it was just like that in the house and then yeah. just brown dust it wasn't even gray dust anymore it was just and there was I am a huge fan of family photos found at estate sales and antique stores just because I'm like, it's so sad that somebody just pitched it. And there was boxes of like funeral guest books and um, pictures. And I was just like, okay, you can just, we'll just take you home. Cause they're, Aww. they're going to do the same thing. And the house is going to be flipped because the housing market is crazy and they're going to yeah. go through and take everything else out of the house and just throw it away. So it becomes that like feast or famine situation. Sure. Yeah. But I love that you guys are getting like you're getting that experience now of getting to decorate an entire yard and not just a backyard and your dogs get the whole yard. Soon. Today, we actually decided on a fence because um, also so it's kind of weird. So Ryan adjusted quickly. Me, I think I got used to the security of living in a Brooklyn apartment on a third floor mm-hmm. and I felt safe. Mm-hmm. I'm super freaked out in this size house mm-hmm. on an acre where I have too many doors and windows. Like I'm super freaked out. Um, Also my pets, like they're my priority. We have four, two dogs and two cats Mm -hmm. and they're the loves of my life. And so I need a fence. And so today we finally 
figured it out. So in five weeks, we'll finally have a fence and then I won't have to like worry about the dogs um, because also the deer, my God, like yeah. I'm not used to having deer all over my lawn and then my dogs freak out. It's it's a little crazy over here. Also, if you're going to start planting trees and plants, make sure yeah. that your fence is deer proof because that's right. well, give no fucks. No, no fence is deer proof, unfortunately. Yeah. Unless you have a seven. Mm-hmm. You'd have to get like an eight foot fence, yeah. which we're not going to do. We would just like hide our, our nice backyard. So they'll probably still get in, but maybe less frequent. Yeah, they can jump over. They can jump over anything, right? They can where we live. You'll be like driving through the country, and there will be a herd of deer in a field, and you just kind of have to be like, "All right, I see you. You you just stay," because they will jump over an entire two lane highway to get to the other side. All right, the day I see a deer (laughs) hurtling over my fence, I don't even. That's the day you have to put the cat together. (laughs) (laughs) Just hope that they'll jump back out. And you're exactly. not have to like corral them. Yeah. Because that happened to a friend of mine. Oh. Deer got stuck and she kept like trying to like, she'd open the gate thinking that the deer would go and it never left. And she's like trying to like corral oh, it. No. And, yeah. She was like, this yeah. is my. Yeah. They already started <laughs> eating our weeping cherry tree that we just bought. Oh. Mm-hmm. Assholes. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully, because does Spider, I'm not familiar with the new name of the new baby. Burley. Burley. So do, is um, Spider aware, like, is he freaked out, too? Because he's like, what's happening? Why is there so much um, yard? He's the protector. So when he starts barking, we know it's because he sees a deer and he's flipping out. Um, Birdie is just a puppy and she kind of just mimics whatever he's doing, but she doesn't. She don't give a rat's ass about anything. She is chill AF. <laughs> so um, it's Spider. He's like, what the hell? Yeah. He's, he's the New York dog. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a protector. Mm-hmm. So we're excited, though, because we've never been able to, like, play with our dogs outside and throw a ball. That's not what we do. We did in Brooklyn or anything. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> in four weeks, we'll be able to do that. Yeah. What kind of fence did you guys go with? We went with a gothic iron fence. Of course. <laughs> I was going to be woefully disappointed if you said white vinyl. I, I was just going to be <laughs> I was like holding my breath on that. <laughs> well, I, I was actually looking at like a, a horse fence and the guy who was, you know, showing us different fencing. He's like, yeah, that's cool. I think it goes with the house. And Regina's like, nope. Nope. Black. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? This is my house. You're not putting a, a barn looking fence out there. I'm like, do it right the first time. So they yeah. don't have to redo it, you know? So we went with like a gothic iron fence. And I think what we'll do in the future is start adding like adornments to the actual fence. They'll come and weld stuff. Yeah, they're going to solder them on. So we'll find some really cool, creepy things. So everyone here knows this is the Adams Family Cohen house. Yeah. (laughs) Good. That's my goal in my neighborhood is to make everybody think I'm either a witch or some weirdo. Because I have a four season skeleton in the front yard and pumpkin (laughs) planters and... Those things. So I'm like, I just need you guys to know that this is. I mean, we have a chapel with stained glass on our lawn, right? (laughs) The chapel, when you guys did the tour of the property, when I saw the chapel in the other outbuilding, I was like, are you kidding? That's perfect for you. That's perfect for you guys. Yeah, it's a really strange um, piece of our property. And nobody really knows the Mm -hmm. exact history of how it ended up on this property. Mm -hmm. Um, All I do know is Sterling Hayden the film actor used to live in it at a different location. Mm-hmm. And then it was moved here, I think in the 1950s and like didn't Martha Stewart's photographer Mar- live there. For she a lives while? in it. Yes. Uh, her. So Martha Stewart lives 
about two streets over until she went to prison, I believe, on Turkey Hill Road, right? (laughs) And her photographer lived in the cottage for 10 years. Whoa. Mm -hmm. And so it is a full-functioning chapel. I mean, it has like a bathroom and a sink. And what we need to probably do is add another peak to the top of it and put a bell. And then we literally have a chapel, like a functioning one, and just put pews. Yeah. I mean, you have to. What are we going to do with that, right? We'll start a cult. No worries. (laughs) You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Instead of OnlyFans, you guys will start only cults. We do like to evolve. I guess that's the next step. (laughs) I mean, you have the following. You You have the fans. You guys built the auction network. I the next say, I really have to change that much of my lifestyle we just have to just add our followers to real life yeah <laughs> when you have so much stuff start collecting people i think that's the next <laughs> well yeah and then i don't have to pay taxes anymore i'll get a big tax break it's yeah the church of cone <laughs> no we'll call it something more interesting okay we'll, we'll workshop that <laughs> yeah brainstorm before we get into today's estate sale walkthrough, I want you guys to tell our listeners where they can find all oddities things and what's coming up for you guys. Right. Well, we pull a um, <laughs> an auction every Saturday, uh, not every Saturday, but most Saturdays, Saturdays on Instagram at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's oddities auction. And uh, we usually have about 20 to 30 really rare and unique antiques and audit. It could be a human skull. It could be um, anything else in between. It's low end and higher end and mid range. And they're really uh, fun. I've sat through a couple of them. They're really fun. They're great. Yeah. It's a really good time. And we, we, we don't, we don't take it. It's we don't take ourselves very seriously. I think people always had an idea of who they thought we were until we started doing the auction. <laughs> Um, and then we have Oddities Flea Market, and right now scheduled is our October 23rd and 24th market. That's in Los Angeles. Yep, those tickets are on sale now. We're almost sold out of our two-day show, which is wild. Um, so, yeah, if people are interested, they need to get them now because I feel like if they wait till October, they'll be... Yeah, they're almost sold out. And then we'll have another... There's going to be a Brooklyn show in December, but we'll release that relatively soon. Um, then House of Wax is going to be open pretty soon. I think it's still technically closed. The movie theater is open, um, but we'll probably announce the opening of that. Uh, I would imagine the next couple of weeks. Yeah, oh, I can't. I can't wait to travel to go to House of Wax because that just sounds. Yeah, we'll meet you there. Oh my god, <laughs> I would die. Do you guys travel for your flea markets when you go? Like when the Oddities does a market, do you go to the event? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. We host it. Yeah, we host it. We're there the whole entire time talking to everybody. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. And of course, we have we'll really have... exciting sponsor. I can't say it yeah, yet. Exactly. What? You can't say it yet. I can't say it yet, but you just have to like, you have to check it out. Stay, stay tuned because it's really big for LA. And we're hoping New York as well. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to look at tickets. Because <laughs> yeah, flights like are pretty cheap from where we live to L.A. I had a, my one of my very best friends used to live in downtown L.A. And that was like that was one of my favorite places to be. I love L.A. So, of course, we'll have all of that linked on our website. We'll have the link to buy those tickets, the link to the auction, the link to the market and all of their great stuff. Give them a Google, guys. Really, they have an extensive list of achievements and cool shit that they've done and found. 
Please look at it. Now, next is the estate sale walkthrough, which is one of my favorite parts of the show. But it is always extremely difficult to write for people that have been in the industry and collected for such a long time because you can't throw stuff up in the air and be like, oh, that. So with the estate sale walkthrough, every week we have this made up event where you pick an item, this or that. You are responsible for finding your own loopholes. We cannot help you. You got to figure it out. You can bring your friends, bring your dogs, do what you need to do. Each scenario is completely made up, but the items are very real. And they this week's is a little bit different because I wrote a together and then a Regina and a Ryan question specifically. Now, for some of these questions, we do have to borrow our time machine from Bill and Ted because we need to go back for some education. This first question is for both Ryan and Regina. If you could travel back in time to watch a piece being made... Would you go back to watch an anatomical wax medical model be made start to finish or the making of a Kapala skull start to finish? Anatomical wax, wax. model. Kapala skulls are fairly boring. Boring. Oh, mm-hmm. all right. Wax. I mean, because we own a wax museum. Mm-hmm. I would love and the process is very extensive when it comes to like molding a human body and making each individual organ, nerve, vein, artery. It's, mm-hmm. it's a... Tr- I've, I've done it before. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it has to be fascinating to watch and do to see it all. That's an easy one. Together in layers. All right. The next one is a very rare estate sale that will probably never happen, which is the crown jewels are being sold to the public. They're just mm-hmm. getting rid of them. They're tired of them, right? So we have two to choose from. Do we choose Queen Victoria's engagement ring that she was given by Prince Edward or, or Prince Albert or the Palatine crown or the Bohemian crown? If you had to choose one to buy... The Bohemian crown is the oldest crown in the crown jewels. I would take, I'd take the crown. I was going to say Victoria's ring. Really? Yeah. Huh. Jill? What would you do with the ring? i just wear it. Because <laughs> it is a really I cool. I think the crown would be easier. What do you think do? I would do with it, Regina? I'd give it to you. Oh, <laughs> there's your loophole. I don't even wear rings. Um, <laughs> See, I would have said the crown because I just feel like it could be displayed so beautifully mm-hmm. and more in a creative way. But what you can just walk around with it? Be too big that, for your head. No, I wouldn't wear it. I would. I'm surprised you don't hair. walk around the house with a crown. No, it's not my style. I'm a little more low key. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one with the velvet outfits. Yeah, yeah. You need a crown. Just a no. little teeny. <laughs> my name means little prince. Uh, and mine means queen. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your well, queen trumps my prince. <laughs> okay. Check. You're lower than me. Mate. Jill, which one would you pick out of those two? Uh, I'd go for the ring. Yeah, I would also go for the ring. Yeah. Sorry, you get the crown. We're all going to be fist fighting over that ring. Victoria, so. Yeah, you love her. Yeah, he loves her. <laughs> all right, Regina, this question yeah. is for you specifically. So you're going to be traveling and you can only take a couple of things with you, right? You're picking from your own collection. You can only take one thing from this list. Do you take your favorite pair of vintage marble slippers or a vintage kimono? This is easy because <laughs> I'm barefoot all the time. Kimono, kimono, kimono. I could do anything in a kimono. I never need shoes. I do everything barefoot. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would pick. If you could, yeah. Ryan, if you could go back and speak to an early inventor of the things you love now, whose brain would you go back and pick? Would it be for Shane? Would no, it be... I, can, I can do the same work as him. God, I don't know. 
Do I have to pick someone? Well, I was just curious to know because you have a lot of idols. You have like Frederick Rouge and Fragonard and Devera. Like who? Marquis de Sade, maybe. Oh, who's that? Just kidding. Like Um, I don't know. That's (laughs) I guess that's that's uh, a question I've never been asked before. So I'm a little stumped. (laughs) Well, yeah, because there's I mean there's a huge cast of characters that I'm sure your brain's like, well, we could go and we could go. No, actually, I'd want to go and pick Salvador Dali's brain, and I'm just saying that off the cuff. Yeah, Uh, he's a really interesting guy, very multifaceted as an individual. I don't think it's a bad brain to pick from. I think you could. No, no, he was a kook. Yeah. (laughs) You could learn a lot about him. Well, that is everything for today. Thank you guys so very much for sitting down with us today. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you for having us. I love getting to hear a little bit more behind the two people behind what everybody knows as the oddities market because it's just incredible. So thanks for all you guys do for the world of oddities and for the community. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. We hope to meet you someday at an event or when you come to New York, you let us know. We do want to head that way to go to Brimfield at some point in our lives. We have to go to Brimfield. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. (laughs) Okay. That sounds wonderful. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And of course, to hear more about the things we cover today in Ryan and Regina's episode, stick around for this week's Curio Quarter. Um, It took me, we're recording this curio a little bit after we had this interview and it took me about a week to like kind of re-level myself (laughs) a little bit. And I will be honest. Well, this is not a surprise to you or anybody. The day before we had this interview, I was just like verklempt. Like I just would get like teary and a little weepy and a little like, Oh my God. Because when you and I started the show, they were at the very top of my list. Like, yeah, and we we had you had sent them a message saying, "Hey, this is what we're doing," and they responded like, "Hey, we're super busy because they were moving. Mm-hmm. They were in the middle of moving." Yeah, and they're like, "We'll get back to you," and we were just like, "Okay." Hi, and hi. that's you know we get that message you know and most of the time people and we do. totally get it. I mean, yeah. So we waited and waited, and I am not the type of person to like keep reaching back out to somebody because I don't like it when people do that to me. Like if I say, Hey, we'll reschedule this, right? Like life is busy. Things are busy. So I didn't, you know, think anything of it. And then I got a, an email uh, a couple weeks ago <laughs> and I was at work and I have an Apple watch, right? So it's very handy as a hairdresser and as a nurse that goes off, you can glance. And I looked and I saw who it was from and I was doing spell checks here and I went, Oh my God. Oh my God. And she's like, what? And I said, I said, they just emailed back. Let's get something set up. So yes, we did get, we got something set up and it was really great. And we talk about in the episode about the expos that they do, the oddities flea market. Yes. And we were recording another curio and I went, you know, I'm going to see how much those tickets are. Cause the closest one to me is the one in Los Angeles. And I looked up the tickets and they were very reasonable. And so I will be going to the oddities flea market. I'm so excited for you. I am. I I'm still in a bit of disbelief because I'm going to be meeting people that we've talked to on the show. I'm going to be meeting people that have listened to the show from the beginning. I'm going to be meeting friends that I've met because of the show. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm going to take recording gear with me. Yeah. And hopefully get some interviews. I just, what the fuck, Jill? I don't know. And it's so funny too because... (laughs) everybody's like, I tell everybody, I'm like, Sam's going to the Audi show. And like, 
all the people I know, except for you and our friends on that end, like are like, who? They do what? Uh-huh. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it's super cool. You should totally listen. You should watch this. And so then I'm telling them about this and they're like, are you going to that? And I'm like, no, that's not my jam, but yes. that's Sam's jam. So I'm 100% supportive. I was like, but I'm a little bit on the line on whether I want to just go down just to go down. And I am looking at you with the biggest white eyes being like, <laughs> come on, Jill. We're going to be flying out of town. We're not going to have to drive to Salt Lake. It's true. So, I mean, it would be. There's also a really great French bakery around the corner from where the expo is. See, that's where I would just hang out. See, and I, that's, I've had a lot of people say the same thing to me too. They go, oh, it's Jill going to. And I just go, this isn't really Jill's cup of tea. This is like if I took you to the baking expo. Yes. I would be like, cool. This is fascinating. Like I would like you would be excited for me mm-hmm. watching me just yes. like I'd be exciting for you watching you. And then I'd come across and I'm like, oh, God, oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to like go find some holy water right now. Yes. See, and yeah, it's like a proud mom moment. Like, like there goes my yes, baby. Like, I'm like, I'm so proud of my yes. baby. Yes. She's living her dreams. Yeah. But no, I I am on the line about just coming down just to become because I want to see everybody too. Mm-hmm. Like I like I never like I was like yeah she's going to L A and then I got to think I'm like we know so many people in that area and I want to see them mm-hmm. and so yeah we'll see I got to talk well to the- and I'm staying for an extra couple of days so I'll have the expo days right but mm-hmm. I'm not going to come back until a couple of days after the expo because I want to go shop and look for things and go to antique stores and I want to take that neon tour. Yes. And see, that's the, uh, I want to mm-hmm. take that neon tour. And then I got to think, I was like, Ooh, when you go to the oddities, I could go to Knox Berry farm. You could, you could relive my childhood. See, there's maybe guys, we got to get Jill on board with this trip. <laughs> the only problem is, is I am going to Albuquerque the month before. So I'm like, Ooh, Okay, so yes, I am. I'm very excited to go to the expo. I'm very excited to meet people. I hope Jill goes. We'll get it figured out. But what a what a journey! I just have to also say this before we get into (laughs) you did amazing. Thank you. Because you could see in your eyes that you totally just wanted to fangirl the fuck out of them. I did. I did. And you just like reeled it in. And like the questions you asked were like, like just on point. You were on point. Thank you. Jill sees all of my nerves behind the scene. And I was, <laughs> I was like. Her hands move very oh. fast when she is super nervous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and why like, I keep silly putty uh, when we record because I, I keep it out of frame. Times they would answer your question and your eyes would just get big. Mm-hmm. Like what? Really? <laughs> yeah, I was like a kid on Christmas. It was just yes. This was your Baker Betty event. Yes. So yes, it was very cool. We talked about a very specific thing that Ryan is known for. Yeah. Probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Um, we of course are talking about the exploded skull or the Boshin skull, right? That he is really well known for and has mm-hmm. made. Lots and lots of them. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the originator of that skull. And this, of course, comes from Wikipedia. So um, 
I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this because I'm not French. Edme Francois Chavoux de Beauchene, Beauchene. He was he was a French physician and surgeon and anatomist, an anatomist, and he was born in 1780 and he died in 1830. So this was really the the beginning stages of understanding modern medicine, right? When we're understanding how everything actually works. Um, he was a chief of the Saint Antoine Paris Hospital, and he was a deputy chief of the anatomical works, um, and the University of France. He was a member of lots of different academies to do with medicine, as well as being the personal physician of Louis the Eighteenth and the surgeon of Charles the Tenth. He is buried at the Père Lachaise Cemetery. Okay. So, uh, Dr. Beauchene was the inventor of the disarticulated or exploded human skull, and it was used for medical teachings. Um, and the skull incorrectly attributed to Claude Beauchene. So it's not to that guy, it's this guy. The skull bones, they're disarticulated along the suture. So if you've ever looked at a skull and you can see all those little zigzag lines, that is where the disarticulation takes place. And then it is attached with brass rods which is this is where ryan's expertise in jewelry making comes in because it's small brass rods and brass wire and rivets that are going into those delicate pieces of the skull and it is mounted in an independent adjustable and like different size brass rods and that allows the jaw to advance to the top of the skull to be tilted back so the whole skull kind of pulls apart top to bottom or front to back or side to side um and this uh, detonation is revealed in the dissection of the left cortical bone, showing the dental roots and the nerve branches pigmented in red. So they were set up, obviously, as different types of anatomical medical study so that if you're going into somebody's noodle, you could pull that apart and see where you're headed because this is, of course, before x-ray and before... Any other type of, you know, this is this is why also Ryan has a ton of anatomical wax models. Like in their house of wax uh-huh. bar in Brooklyn, it is all anatomical wax that was used specifically in medicine and medical theater. And they're all like depicting different, there's different stages of birth, um, sexually transmitted diseases, um, other types of diseases that were running rapid in the 18th and 19th century, surgery. Um, abnormalities, cancers, and all of those things. But the that exploded skull is where he's gained a lot of his critical acclaim. Because, I mean, there wasn't probably a lot of people sitting down to put one of those together. No. At that time. So, um, and it's made up of 22 bones. So there's eight in the cranium, 14 in the face. All of the bones, except for the mandible or the jawbone, are immovable because they are held in place by those fibrous sutures, right? So when you're looking at an actual skull before it's exploded, all you right. can do is turn it around and then take the bottom jaw off and look. So it was really revolutionary at its time. But that's the, the little bit on that exploded skull and why. And they're super cool to look at too because it's just like, I don't know. Being in the medical field, that stuff, like, I geek out on it. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, the anatomical, like, wax figures and stuff. I was just like, ooh, I totally want to go to that. You would love, probably, it's one of, it's on top of my list of places to go is the Mütter Museum, Mm -hmm. which is the largest, yeah, physics museum or um, doctor, physician museum. Yeah, I know. That is on my list because I love that stuff. Yeah. fascinating but that was i mean we didn't i was excited that we got to see kind of the other side of them the, of who yeah 
And, uh, you know, going into it, we were a little nervous, like how it was, because, you know, we like to make it as a conversation hanging Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And that's totally what we got. Mm -hmm. And it just shows you how like, super like, chill and down to earth they are. And I mean, it was, they were super fun. And they were super knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was enjoyable, even like for stuff because that's not my jam, but it was fascinating to me just yeah. to listen. Well, it was interesting to hear that Regina is more of a minimalist naturally than. Yeah. It's, to, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I think that's my husband, too. I think he's more of a minimalist. Yeah. My husband's kind of, I don't know. He goes in between. Right now, he thinks I'm like a hoarder, but there's reasons I'm hoarding. Mm hmm. It will all make sense. It will all come to pass. It will all come to pass and you'll all be excited. Well, and it's like, because I've been buying frames for how long? Like over a year now. Mm-hmm. And I finally have enough frames to do the gallery wall that I want to do. Yes, and I can't wait. So I ripped the carpet off my stairs. I'm going to hang those pictures up because I'm going to paint this fall. Paintings for the fall. And I want to get them all up so I know where they look. And I finished putting holes in the wall before. Yeah, before. Yeah before that but that was the only curio we had for ryan and regina i believe tickets are still available as of today for the los angeles oddities flea market let me double check that really quickly okay so if you go to the oddities flea and click events it takes you and you have to there's not a clickable link on the website you click so if you click the flyer that's on that events page, there's not a, a link to click. You click the flyer to see if tickets are available. And as of right now, there are still tickets available. This is for Saturday, October 23rd, 2021 and Sunday, October 24th, 2021. Just waiting for... Oh. There is the Sunday VIP left at 10 to 12. And the Sunday general admission are left. Ooh. So get on those tickets. There's only a few left. And hopefully we'll see you there. Also, yeah. be sure to go and check out all of the links on the website for this week's episode, themothballprophecies.com. We will have everything for Ryan and Regina listed there as well as on our Instagram. And now we would like to take this part of the show to thank our wonderful patrons we have some cool stuff planned coming up for you guys um we have started to do a deep dive episode over on our patreon covering the different places spaces and things we talk about on the mothball prophecies and it's a little more of an in-depth hour plus long episode with me jill and spellcheck and possibly melissa melissa may be guest hosting some of those as well So to find all of the information about our Patreon, you can check the link tree in our bio or our website. You can click the Patreon button there. Right now, we would like to thank Katrina in Arizona, Emily and Crystal in Nevada, Aaron in Wisconsin, RJ in Florida, Gina in South Carolina, Julia in Sweden, Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Javier, Shanna, Mandy, and Riley in California, and Lisa, Aaron, T.C. Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Erica, Becky, and Ashley in Idaho. A gigantic thank you to our wonderful team, Gray, for making us sound like we know what we're doing. And for spell check, uh, helping us look so good on paper. Because we need it. 
We need yeah, it. a lot. Yeah, we do. As always, I hope you find some good shit. And I hope you remember to look under the tables. That's right. Bye. Yeah.